This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is brought to you by Luton Rising, owners of London Luton Airport, the UK's most socially impactful airport. Find out more at lutonrising.org.uk. This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is sponsored by BT, because BT means business. BT knows that businesses come in many shapes, sizes and guises, from the person just starting out at their kitchen table to the biggest employer, which is why no matter what line of work you're in, they've got your back to help you succeed and do what you do best. No doubt connectivity is a must in Westminster, and it certainly helped us to get this episode created and distributed to you listening right now. BT already connects more than 1 million businesses and public sector organisations, offering secure and reliable connectivity. Nearly three quarters of people running a business or side hustle feel they couldn't do so without reliable broadband and mobile connectivity. That's why having connectivity you can count on is a must for business, whether it be facilitating multiple devices being connected at once or making team calls or guest Wi-Fi access for customers. BT's connectivity helps keep you and your customers happy. Whatever your business, BT's got your back. Search BT's got your back. Hello, this is the Red Box Podcast. I'm Matt Chorley, bringing the best of my Times radio show. Don't forget you can listen live Monday to Friday, 10 till 1, on your DAB radio, on your smart speaker, or download the Times radio app. A packed episode for you today. Coming up, PMQ's unpacked. Tim Shipman joins me to pause the action from the House of Commons. Keir Starmer and Rishi Sunak go at it. And Lara Spirit rounds up the best of the rest. Robert Cramps and Alice Thompson will be here in just a moment. But I love it when a news story breaks and we're in the middle of our latest time. Radio Focus Group. You'll be able to hear the full thing on the pod tomorrow where we'll hear what the group had to say about immigration and Rishi Sunak and Keir Starmer and so on. But while we were speaking to our panel of swing voters, the news broke that Boris Johnson had been reported to the police again, this time for possible lockdown breaking parties, gatherings, work events at Chequers. Well, it doesn't get much better than that. So I thought what we thought we'd do on the pod today is bring you what the voters had to say about the latest news that Boris Boris Johnson might be in trouble again. Not surprised. Just a boys' club, isn't it? We all kind yeah. of knew what's happening anyway. I think it's, I think it's old news. We're past it. Move on. <laughs> I'm not surprised. I lost friends that through COVID, and while he, while people were dying, and we're talking hundreds of thousands of the British people, he was, he was holding illegal parties, and they were proved to be legal. And Sunak as well. They both had fines for it, and this is just going to rumble on and rumble on until they all come out for at one. And tell the bloody truth. Uh, not surprised, and nothing surprises me what Boris does. Um, just all negative to be is just the way he run the country. The things he done was not acceptable. Just comes as no surprise, and it's okay. Yeah, you know, let's fine, you know, slap on the wrist and let's move on. But you know, when everyone else was sat at home. Being given the rules of being able to only meet one person for a short 15-minute walk, and then there was the jokes about what cost a substantial meal. Um, it just, there's just why did we waste so much time on those pointless conversations when the guys at the top were just doing what they wanted anyway? I don't understand. That's fair. They made the police go out and give COVID fines to people for everyone, but then no one would reinforce that because there was not enough police to then follow up on them all. So it was, they were just causing more work for everyone else while they were doing what they wanted to do. Uh, well, one thing which is, you know, it's, it's the big scene and it's the photo probably of last year for the wrong reasons, but it's when the Queen um, lost you know, the Duke of Edinburgh and she was sat in on the chair by herself. Yeah, on just, her own, yes. It, it, how, how is that fair? Yeah. You know, no normal person can look at that photo and think, yeah. let's take the Queen out of the occasion. And let's take, you know, their positions within the UK and the, the monarchy. That was everybody. She represented everybody yeah. at that point. And mm. knowing that you had political influences as such, you know, meeting up, having parties, wine and cheese, birthday, no, it's not acceptable. Uh, so that's what they had. To, that's what the uh, focus group had to say about it. You're going to hear the full, uh, the full thing and what they thought about uh, immigration and Rishi Sunak and uh, and Keir Starmer uh, tomorrow. Um, Henry, a sort of weariness from the public, but clearly Boris Johnson might have been hoping this whole thing was going to be wrapped up by the imminent publication of the Privileges Committee. Yeah, and instead he's got Partygate Volume Two, uh, which I think is is difficult for him. 
it's difficult for him because uh, he, we are told repeatedly, wants to return to the centre of the political fray. He wants to remind people of Ukraine, of getting Brexit done, not of parties and Chris Pincher. And this just reminds the public, as you heard there, um, but also perhaps more importantly for Boris Johnson in the near term, conservative MPs, of why they got so fed up of him in the first place. And look, the police may well not end up launching investigations. They're merely scoping things out at the moment. But either way, it just thrusts back to the centre of people's minds about Boris Johnson, this question of whether he was following the same rules that he was enforcing on everyone, including those sort of, as you say, strikingly weary voters you spoke to in your focus group <laughs> last night. Um, there's, the, the, the backlash has been uh, swift and uh, predictable in that uh, lots of Boris Johnson supporters saying this is a stitch-up, it's more of the blob moving against him. Uh, and that just reopens that whole row again and Rishi Sunak finds himself in the centre of it. Yes, indeed. And... I think, look, do, do I think Boris Johnson has a big enough group of supporters able to propel him back to Downing Street? No. Do I think Boris Johnson has a big and angry enough group of supporters able to bring down Rishi Sunak? No. But does Boris Johnson have a just about big and certainly angry enough group of supporters able to make things difficult at every turn for Rishi Sunak, if even by just occupying column inches that they would prefer to be occupied by their positive message? Yes. And that's where I think this gets tricky for Rishi Sunak, especially this insinuation, in fact, not even insinuation, allegation by Johnson's team, heavily denied by the government, that ministers were involved in this. That is dynamite. Uh, their belief... Uh, that uh, cabinet office ministers uh, basically have done this to Boris Johnson. Uh, if that belief takes hold among Conservative MPs, uh, a certain faction thereof, uh, then that becomes um, very difficult for the Conservative Party to sort of soothe and move forward. Henry Zeffman there, and you can read all the details of exactly what it is that Boris Johnson has been accused of online at thetimes.co.uk. Right, now it's time for these two. The Columnists with Alibert, Alice Thompson and Robert Crampton on Times Radio. One of my great delights is <laughs> the, the, the simple joy that Robert takes from the jingle, still. Yeah, I still love it. I was also thinking about David Miller feeding that hamburger, the burger to his daughter. It wasn't really a scandal, but it was very funny. Um, big, uh, uh, no, you've got your scandals muddled up. Yeah. So Edward Lee, Tory MP, has said we don't have proper scandals anymore. <laughs> Dave, it wasn't David Miller. It wasn't Miller. It was John Gummer. Oh, I beg your pardon. I beg your pardon. David Miller was the Miller Miller was Chelsea was the Strip, Chelsea yeah. Strip yeah. having an affair. Yeah. I did, Although yeah. someone's pointed out. Uh, um, somebody's messaged in saying, well, I think my favourite scandal was the David Mellor one. Yeah. I was only 13 at the time, so I didn't follow politics so closely. Uh, so I thought he resigned for uh, sleeping with a woman wearing a Chelsea football kit. Uh, but he said this all, it actually was to do with a free holiday um, in Abu Dhabi. It was part of the story, but only saw the, the headlines. So thank you for that, Han. When I interviewed the Max Clifford many years ago, oh, yeah. he admitted to me that he just completely made up the Chelsea strip when he, when he, when he, did the, when he sold the what? story. He just put Seems that. So unlike. He just, he just that put that. He just, it's really gone down in my estimation. <laughs> he just now. He just put that on top just for his own amusement. Yeah. Yeah, it's like Alice. Scandalous. Campbell, do you remember when you did that one about tucking in the underpants? Yeah. That was when he said that John Major always John tucked his shirt his into his underpants, yeah. and that actually was made up. And I always think that was just every time I see yeah. John Major, I still can't get it out of my mind. And Ed, John Major and Edwina Curry. Right, yeah. that's enough. People might be silly having their brunch. <laughs> <laughs> Now, uh, Alice, I want to talk about this outrage um, uh, that you've written your column about today. Uh, about students who've paid nine and a half grand a year, or, you know, will pay it back at some point, for degrees. And now they've been told that this summer they're not going to get their dissertations marked. They might not even get a degree because of a combination of, uh, well, the pandemic and then um, their, their tutors being on strike. Yes, yeah, so the tutors are on strike and the lecturers, but now they're also on a marking strike, which means that universities, 140 of um, sort of higher education and universities, have decided not 
to mark exams or some of them aren't marking dissertations. So at Edinburgh, I talk to students who have written a dissertation over the last six months and will never have it marked. And and actually, Unbelievable. they have bothered to do it. And you just yeah, feel yeah. really sorry for these children. And then they're also, in their finals aren't going to be marked either. They're going to take their earlier results. And then at Cambridge, I know that they have decided that they're not going to give them their results. They, they're, they're going to mark them probably over the summer if they can find anyone to mark them. And then they might get them in September, October, maybe next year. But if you're trying to get a job at the yeah, end and you haven't got a grade, yeah. it's quite difficult. And it's also difficult if you want to do an MA or you want to move on. They're just in this sort of limbo and they're all taking their exams from today onwards, actually. Um, and they don't know whether they're going to be marked or not. So we've got um, today uh, more than 100,000 students from University College London <coughs> are starting the process of trying to sue their university over disruption of their studies because of the pandemic and strike action. They say they've paid full tuition fees, haven't received value for money. Uh, and then uh, you were talking about you know, Edinburgh University. This is Ollie Lewis, who's a final year student at Edinburgh University, who told Times Radio recently about how he's been affected. In recent weeks, we've known that this marking boycott is happening. It's happening on a national scale, but we haven't quite known what the impact exactly will be. Now, the university has not formally told us what the impact will be. They have not sent us an official email. They have not made a statement. So I essentially took it upon myself as part of some student journalism I do to find out what was actually going on. And what we found out was that the university has drawn up contingency plans to essentially work around these boycotts by, for some students, not marking large parts of their work. That could include exams, that could include final essays, and for me, that would include my dissertation. I mean, it, mm. it's actually <laughs> mind-boggling, Robert. Yeah, it's, it's, I mean, it's, it's, it's a scandal, is what yeah. it is. It, uh, the university lecturers did not cover themselves in glory during the pandemic, and they're continuing in that same vein. Uh, I think, I mean, my daughter was uh, halfway through university when the pandemic hit, so she lost kind of the last four or five terms. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and it seemed to me that they were providing just enough to continue to get, get yeah, the money. Yeah. It seemed to be a pretty minimum. Yeah. Uh, and I, as I say, I don't think... I, and then immediately it ended, they, they went on strike over pensions. And I know from... Uh, anecdotally, and now I know from Alice's column, that uh, the pay is not good for some yeah, for, yeah, for, yeah. The, for the people who are actually doing the, the work. But like a lot of professions, there's a whole strata of people who are not in the front line. Yeah. I mean, this is, certainly applies to the NHS. The example in your column, Alison, uh, is it like electric gets 45,000, the head of strategic communications 110. gets 100. You can get yeah. really sucked into looking at those yeah. um, um, job ads. So yeah. there were lots of job ads for things I'd never even heard of that they have at university. Yeah. And yet yeah. the lecturers and the tutors are being paid very, very little. And a lot of them are on zero hours. So yeah. What's amazing to me is these students have actually been incredibly supportive, I think, of their lectures. Yeah, and they do understand yeah. what's going on. They've been, you know, they've, they've been very thoughtful about it, but I kind of think they think enough's enough now. And, and also, it, ju it just seems astonishing mm -hmm. that, you know, that none of us seem to care about it. So we keep talking about no platforming or we, mm. we talk about them being snowflakes when actually most of them don't really care about who's actually coming to talk at their universities. Yeah. <clears throat> they just want to get a degree at the end of it. Yeah. Yeah, and it really matters, certainly in subjects like medicine and science where you... You, ha you have to be right. Do you know what I mean? It's yeah, not, like, yeah, it's not yeah. like art subjects where it's opinion. You kind of have to know. Let's not get bogged down. We got bogged down of that with James Mallory. No, but you know, last week. Yeah, but, but you're right. Yeah, if, you're, yeah. if you're an engineer, you need to learn how to build a bridge or it falls down. Yeah, and uh, that it's it, it's it's, it's mind blowing. I mean, the other thing that's really struck me from the Alice's column. Did you say there were two million students in this. Yeah, in so there are two million students. That includes the postgrads. But that's extraordinary. we keep going on about yeah. the foreign yeah. students. So we're obsessed by the fact that we've got all these foreign yeah. students, which we have because it's the only way that people seem to be able to afford to go to universities off the back of these foreign students paying more. Yeah. But that's not the biggest issue. The biggest issue is they're just not getting an it's education. It's a big chunk of the country, and it should be a very powerful lobby, but because they're young and... and uh, oh, they're slow folks. And, yeah, and, yeah. Ge and geographically uh, disparate. Yeah. They uh, they don't possibly realise their own power, So, but it sounds to me like these, these people at the uh, University of London are getting their act together. They've got, they've got lawyered up, and good luck to them. It's amazing, actually, <laughs> looking at some of the comments in your column, uh, Alice, loads of people in exactly the same position. <laughs> Pat says, massive portrayal of students who have sacrificed to protect the old people during the COVID. My third year son, same experience. First year locked up and fed slops. Second year, a few lectures. Mm. Third year, no dissertation marked. Any mm. other sector would be sued for breach of contract. Yeah, quite. 
There is no contract, is there? Mm. That's part of the problem. Well, there is a vague contract, so right. they have to legally they should have to do something. But in fact, because they don't sign anything at all, it's not like a house or a car or even a holiday. And they were saying if you get on a train or if there's a strike, yeah. you then get your money back, but they yeah. get no money back at all for the fact they haven't had much and they education. Don't, and, they, and they don't even get the information, according to the lad who was yeah. on a minute ago, Ollie. He, they, the university just didn't tell him anything. Yeah. You just have to wait and see that you yeah. aren't going to... And actually, having had almost no contact with your university as an institution mm. in the last three years, people are quite used to not knowing, mm. being told. But you get the contact if you don't send them a cheque. Yeah. So, And, at the, and the, point, right. at the point about the 100 grand for the strategic communication is because all they're interested in getting people in. Get them in, get them signed up, get the money. And then it is, it is genuinely astonishing. And I can't believe it's not a bigger... Uh, a bigger thing, but then maybe it will be. We have we have made contact with the. Well, I can't remember what department they are now. This is educational universities. In, anyway, we've yeah. we've asked the government to put up a minister to explain their stuff. Because but they will say, well, they're independent businesses. Now, wash the you know all the way through the pandemic, they washed their hands with it yeah. and said it was up. But to if university. it's a business, then the businesses have to treat their customers properly. Otherwise, yeah, yeah, the customers yeah, yeah. should be able to go. The problem is they've got nowhere to go. These customers. Yeah, so. the government, yeah, and the government needs to worry if we're getting people uh, not getting qualified and not getting their grades, and yeah. people possibly uh, getting into jobs who aren't qualified for them, or not getting pe- the right people into the right jobs. I mean, yeah. that, that's that's yeah. going to matter. I, also, in our generation, we just wouldn't have done it. If I knew my dissertation wasn't going to be marked, I probably wouldn't have written it. No, they're so they much more know. diligent they now. They didn't know. That's yeah, the I suppose halfway through they didn't realise, did they? It's extremely demotivating. Yeah. I mean, if, we were, if one of us, I mean, just if one of us was asked to write something mm. and then it turned out we weren't printing the paper that day so they weren't going to bother using it, that would be quite annoying. Yeah. If you spent three years working on something yeah. and they went, oh, no, sorry, we're not going to bother. Oh, it's genuinely yeah. unbelievable. Genuinely unbelievable. Um, uh, let's move on before we all get very cross. But we, mm-hmm. we, will, we will keep on it, and we will keep on it, the government, until they uh, they try and explain themselves. Um, uh, Robert, you wrote a lovely piece about mm-hmm. your best mate, Martin Amis. Best mate for about 24 hours, He yeah. never name drops, have you noticed? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was an opportunity. It was not, well, I mean, it's I didn't what, like... it's, it isn't the job of a newspaper columnist. It's somebody <laughs> the news dies. Yes. Uh, and you... Recollect, but it was a good anecdote. You went to Iraq with Martin Amos and Tony Blair. I did. Uh, Now, 2007, if you remember, Tony Blair extended farewell tour, for Mm. which he was much criticised at the time. Uh, His time was up in July, I think, in the previous two months. And I spent a good chunk of that with him uh, in Libya, met Gaddafi, in South Africa, met Mandela, went to Sierra Leone, where he was made a tribal chief. Went to meet uh, the Elysee, met Chirac, who was the outgoing president, met Sarkozy, who was the incoming president, and we also went to Iraq. And on the Iraq trip, there was Martin Amis, who was doing a pretty similar job for The Guardian. And we uh, we piled up as the sort of uh, airy-fairy, damby-pamby magazine boys <laughs> in amongst all these <laughs> battle-hardened news hacks and squaddies and yeah. politicians pretending to be hard. Yeah. Uh, Martin and I were kind of thrown together, yeah. and we were, and we were. He was great fun. Uh, there wasn't enough made of that in the obits. I think it was all about his acerbic yeah. nature. But he was, uh, he was great fun to hang out with, if or under mortifier in Basel. Yours Bas- was quite lively because not a couple. Yeah. Of, the only time I went on a trip like that was a couple of years after I went with Gordon Brown right. to Afghanistan. I think it was his Ooh. last trip to Afghanistan. Yeah. And maybe they'd learnt the lesson of when you went with Blair because yeah. we we went into the base, yeah, and we were supposed to be going somewhere else to show how great and safe Afghanistan yeah, was. Yeah, but the, the, so, no, it wasn't. <laughs> no. So we just stayed on the base. No, that was, a, yeah, there was a, when we went, got to the British... And then we went home again. When we got to the British Embassy in the Green Zone in Baghdad, there was a burnt-out shell of a car, and we were all, all the journalists were going, well, what's that doing there? And we managed, and it <laughs> turned out there'd been a, a mortar attack about yeah. ten minutes before, so they knew, I mean, they knew Blair was there, and they yeah. were targeting him and the same thing happened in Basra yeah, and, well, but well, Martin was cool as a cucumber and as he said in the, as, he, as I quote in the piece he said well when you've been savaged by the London critics nothing much phases you because <laughs> 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 you, cr- you must have been uh, under mortar fire at some point Alice I think my worst one was when I was in um, Pakistan with Bill Dees if you remember Bill Dees oh yeah, you know, yeah. Uh, rather extraordinary mm-hmm. he must have been in his early 90s and my mm. role was partly to stop him from drinking because uh, he liked a whiskey or two and they were worried he was going to die on the job 
And um, so we went to Pakistan in 2001 when we were covering Afghanistan. And we went into Afghanistan towards Kandahar. And he said, actually, as we went in, I think this is going to be too dangerous. Mm. And we were in a convoy and we turned back. And actually, the convoy did get attacked and three cars were taken out. And I got back to Britain and discovered I was pregnant with my daughter. And I do remember saying to him, thank God you said that. Although I also Mm. said to my daughter, I want to call you Kandahar because I thought that was a great name. (laughs) That's a great name, mate. Slightly pretentious, but... I do always say to her, she's been to Afghanistan. You could shorten it to Candy. Candy's good. Candy's all right. She's Kandahar. Usual spelling. Yeah, we never left left Camp Bastion. We spent the whole time just sort of kicking our heels and... Yeah, well, um, we went yeah. into Iraq just after the war ended, I remember, with Martin Bell. Do you remember who wore the white suit? The white I suit, went with yeah. him. And actually, it was quite easy in the two weeks afterwards because there was a lot of looting, but it wasn't dangerous. So yeah. we were watching this country falling to pieces, which was appalling and really, really difficult. But we weren't personally in yeah, any but, danger. Yeah. It was only afterwards that it started to get worse. Whenever I saw Gordon Brown afterwards, he would say, have you recovered from Afghanistan? <laughs> I also like, went... Yes, I, did, I did the same, exactly the same trip with Peter Mandelson. And if you haven't seen Peter Mandelson in body armour and a... And a a helmet, and you haven't lived. Did he bring his own? No, no, he, no, he didn't. <laughs> he, looked, he looked good. A little he feather good. in it, perhaps. He said, don't you dare take a picture of me wearing this. <laughs> Nobody looks good in a... It's a good... T- it's a good. T- I think you can divide yeah, it's a good test. people. Yeah. Do they look good in a tin no. hat? Yeah. And I look... No, like, I, like I'm wearing one for my own personal safety. I look like First World War cannon fodder. <laughs> yes, exactly, yeah, yeah. With your, your private pike skull. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> uh, very good. Um, uh, well, it's a lovely piece. Look it up. Look it up. It's, um, when did it run? Oh, oh, yesterday. It? Yesterday, Tuesday, yesterday. Yeah. yeah. So look it up online. Robert's piece about uh, Martin Right, up next, we're talking bees. The Princess of Wales has got them. Ed Sheeran's got them. Jeremy Clarkson's got them. Camilla's got them. And so is Alice Thompson. We're talking bees. How many have you got? I've got about 20,000, 30,000 at least, I think. In fact, we might have more. See, I've got no idea if that's a lot or not very many. It sounds a lot. Probably not very many. I was thinking We've got three hives. I think that's quite good. But they're right. all wild hives, so it's not like I have to do anything to them. Well, well I'll tell you who we can ask. We can ask our resident bee expert, Jilly Halliday, uh, who's been on before to talk about her bees in the Isles of Scilly. Hello, Jilly. Well, hello. How are you? I'm all right. I'm all right. Now, you're not on the Isles of Scilly today, though, are you? Where are you? Oh, I'm, I'm in a big city. I'm in, in London, so I'm at Chelsea Flower Show today. Trying to get more people to keep bees? Uh, not really. The message is that um, it's about all bees, not just honeybees. It's about the whole spectrum of them. So we have to look after them all. Now, uh, Jenny, somebody message in. Helen says, uh, can you please point out that we all need to grow plants that will feed the existing bees and they will then naturally increase numbers. Adding more bees to an area can cause bees to starve. Is there then too many bees for the food sources? Without a doubt, absolutely. It's, uh, this has been this big trend for beekeepers and I'm one of them. So hands up on that. But I'm really informed because I do do lots of research with lots of amazing people on the Isles of Scilly and um, we're piecing together what's going on there. So it's not perfect in the Isles of Scilly but one thing that I do find when I come over to the mainland is that there feels it feels really stark, it feels really sterile here so I don't see as many bees and when I mean bees I don't see so many bumblebees and yeah. solitary bees. It's uh, It feels really stark and that could easily be, and we know now whether there is research to back that up, that there are too many honeybees, especially in London. It's a big problem, yes. Too many? Too many. Robert, you look, you look yeah, perplexed. Because, and, well, Have you no, seen too many of them? Uh, it's become a big thing in Hackney, uh, Hackney honey. Is it? Uh, oh, yeah. God, I bet it has. Yeah, Hackney hipster oh, honey. hipster high with their beards yeah. and their bees. Yeah, I can imagine, oh. yeah, keeping bees in their, actually in their beards. <laughs> a beard of bees? Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I can um, I can see that, uh, especially and if there isn't the uh, concomitant growth yeah. in, in uh, food source, then yeah, yeah, I can see that's a problem. So you haven't. You what, don't, what, you, what should we? What be should growing? we be doing about them? Should we just get rid of the hipsters, Jilly? Oh no, no, keep the hipsters. I love them. They're great fun to work. <laughs> but what with. what plants should we be growing? Yeah. So what should we? The good question, Robert. What should we be growing mm. to help the bees? Well, for, for what I see, it's it's about planting. For the whole year, it's not just about now in this beautiful, glorious late spring sunshine, but it's about planting for bees all year round and and increasing their habitat and um, really um, looking after the whole of wildlife. It's from the soil upwards. So there's a lot of education. I've got lots uh, lots to say to the to the general public, yeah. but 
Uh, well, yeah, there's a lot to say, and I think it will really surprise and shock people with all the things that are just coming out now, um, and that there are too many beekeepers, there's too many honeybees. Too bees, many beekeepers. Down with the beekeepers, yeah. Jilly. No, no, but we just need to have more flowers, don't we? It's not fewer <laughs> bees, it's more flowers. Robert Crampton and Alice Thompson there, and some bees. And you can read them both in the Times every week. Just get yourself a subscription. Go to thetimes.co.uk forward slash Times Red Box. Up next is PMQ's Unpacked. 
that I've launched an investigation. Yeah. And then it would roll on again. And then again it would have rolled again. on yeah, yeah. for endlessly. Um, with Boris Johnson, you know, I mean, this is, this is an interesting situation, this Boris Johnson situation. How did this information come to light? You know, Boris Johnson's people are absolutely convinced that, you know, there's some conspiracy, um, not just in the civil service, but apparently involving ministers as well yeah, to yeah. sort of stitch him up. I mean... Everybody, the rest of us have been speaking to in government, says ministers didn't have a clue about any of this stuff um, and that the civil servants concerned were duty-bound um, to pass it on, ironically because uh, the taxpayer was paying for Boris Johnson's legal fees. Um, there's a serious point here about, you know, is the civil service trying to sort of um, gently ease out people it doesn't like and make life difficult for them? And I think even those of us that sometimes get information from some of these people would acknowledge that they're not all the biggest fans of some of these Tory ministers. <laughs> um, but, you know, if you're convinced that the world's out to get you and that yeah. there's someone with a gun coming at you, the best thing to do generally is not to leave piles of ammunition lying around. <laughs> Well, yeah, that's a very good way of putting it. Right, here we go then. And there's obviously also the big issue of uh, immigration and whether there's a, it's a bit awkward for whether or not Keir Starmer wants to go on that because we might get you wanted free movement and if it were up to you, we'd still be in lockdown. Well, we if yeah, Rishi <laughs> Sunak can string that out probably yeah, for yeah. me and see if he can do 20 minutes on that. Well, let's find out then. This is uh, this is PMQ's Unpacked, live on Times Radio and on the Times Radio YouTube channel. Let's go live to the comments now. This is question one from Keir Starmer. How many work visas were issued to foreign nationals last year? Prime Minister. Uh, well, <laughs> m m Mr Speaker, the new statistics, as the Honourable Gentleman knows, uh, will be out later this week. Uh, the, most re the, 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 most recent, the most recent statistics we have, the most recent statistics we had, as the ONS said at the time, contained a set of unique circumstances, including welcoming many people here for humanitarian reasons. Yeah. Well, there we are. The <laughs> Both wrong. Well, I mean, you know, we there are six yet. questions. Are six questions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If, if we get through six questions without reference to Boris Johnson, um, I will buy a very expensive dinner. For me? Well, I mean, oh, yes, fingers crossed. Um, yeah, uh, I, mean, I mean, you're not getting an expensive dinner. <laughs> as soon as you said it, you panicked. <laughs> no, 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 I'm happy yeah, to buy you one. Yeah, yeah. It's just not going to happen. Um, uh, this is a classic. Ask a very short question. To which Rishi Sunak does not know the answer. Well, I mean, he does know the answer. He just doesn't want to give the answer. Um, um, and he knows that there's more figures coming tomorrow, which will be 50% higher than whatever Keir Starmer's yeah, yeah, yeah. about to throw at him. Um, but, you know, a lot of the... Certainly last year's figures included 200,000 Ukrainians and 150,000 people from Hong Kong yeah, and yeah. 30,000 people from Afghanistan. The Hong Kong and the Afghan numbers have worked their way through the system. I think my understanding is that the Ukrainian number will still be high and Sunak will still be able to say we're being very generous to Ukrainians. But last year's figure was 500,000, of which maybe half came from, you know, um, well, probably I mean, quite two-thirds yeah. of it perhaps came from humanitarian yeah. uh, access. Um, but this year... It's going up to sort of seven, eight hundred thousand. Additional net number. Yes, yeah. additional net number, and the Ukrainians are probably you know one hundred and fifty thousand of that. So they've gone from you know two thirds of us being generous to the rest of the world to it, it being you know um, well under a quarter of yeah, it. Yeah. Um, and um, well, good luck to him. You can make that argument today. But he won't also, be able to make it tomorrow. But also, Rishi Sunak trying to make the argument this is humanitarian. But you can't simultaneously say you're going to bring down the numbers and then say it's a good thing the numbers are up. Uh, no, equally, you can't complain that the numbers are up and then uh, say that you wouldn't control immigration and that they might go exactly, even yeah. further, right. which is what the Labour Party's position has been. So this is going to be one of those great moments of uh, political, political doublespeak on both sides. Well, let's find out. Well, I'm sure the, uh, the first thing is going to happen is Keir Starr was going to give us the answer to his first question. How many work visas uh, were issued last year? Let's go back to the House of Commons question two. Are out. It's a quarter of a million work visas were issued last year. He knows that answer. He just doesn't want to give it. And the new numbers tomorrow are expected to be even higher. The Prime Minister stood on three Tory manifestos, each one promised to reduce immigration. Each promise broken. They all stood on those manifestos as well. Why does he think his Home Secretary... I'm going to hear this question. Those who don't want to hear it, we know the answer. Keir Starmer. They all, they all stood on those manifestos. So why does he think his Home Secretary seems to have such a problem coping with points-based systems? <laughs> well, 
Mr. Speaker. A joke there. And the same respect will be shown, Prime Minister. Well, Mr. Speaker, just this week we announced the biggest ever single measure to tackle legal migration, removing the right for international students to bring dependents, toughening the rules on post-study work and reviewing maintenance requirements. But what is the Honourable Gentleman's contribution? There are absolutely no ideas. There is no, 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 absolutely no ideas, absolutely no semblance that there would be any control. Why? Because he believes in an open-door migration policy. Does he? Well, I mean, that may not be accurate, but um, Annalise Dodds was asked whether Labour would reduce immigration um, a few days yeah. ago and was unable to say that they would, and in some areas she suggested that it might go up. Um, so, as you pointed out at the start, this is a slightly awkward subject for the Labour Party, but, um, but it's again, interesting that he's tackling it. Exactly, he's we've talked of... about this before, that when Keir Starmer, he does really wear his confidence on his sleeve. When things are going well, he's, he'll more than happily walk into a story which you might think is troubling him or a policy area which isn't the best for him. When he's you know back against the wall, uh, it, it, that also really shows and he's a bit uncertain, but he's clearly thinking he's in a strong position. He's going to take on the thing that the Tories would think he wouldn't. Yeah, no, exactly. And A, that partly wrong foot Sunak sort of tactically during uh, PMQs and B, it allows Labour to kind of um, frame what happens tomorrow a little bit in their terms and also to show that they're not frightened of talking about it. Um, you know, and Labour can always fall back on a sort of competence argument against a government that's failed to deliver what it said it was going to deliver. Um, Sunak is always going to have the response that, um, you know, Labour wants to control it a good deal less than the Tory party does. Um, how that plays out, you know, in the seats where it's a big issue um, remains to be seen. But um, I think Starmer's calculation is that, clearly, that there's something to be gained from yeah. roughing up the Prime Minister. Uh, and it's probably not that likely that a lot of people in Darlington are sitting listening to this. Yeah, right yeah, now. yeah. And then, and then, but, but the MP sitting behind which you see that might be, uh, you know, reminding them that they haven't done enough on immigration, which is causing a lot of issues. We should point out, actually, um, Swella Barman there, the... Uh, not a fan of a points-based system. Not a terrible joke, that. Uh, she is sitting next to uh, Rishi Sunak, just to his left. Uh, and he's got David T.C. Davis, who I don't need to tell you, he's the Welsh secretary, uh, sitting to his right. So um, after the decision this morning that she could stay in the cabinet and stay as Home Secretary, uh, she's been brought into the Commons specially to... She's to nodding very gravely. At very, the very as well. gravely. On the television I'm looking at there. Very serious. Very serious face. Mean. Uh, uh, and we've already had two hits of Lindsay Hoyle, so I feel like that could be brewing. They didn't really feel like we needed to no. either, did it? Um, it's sort of... I mean, it's not quite Burko-style interventions, but Hoyle does like I think to he's make also, his presence felt. He's also annoyed about more pre-briefing to the papers. He's, a, he's granted an urgent question well, later every on. every single speaker is always about, about the. Uh, every single government ignores it. Yes. We just, you know... Fine, we'll ignore him as well. Politicians fly business class. Surprise! <laughs> there are too many special advisers in Downing Street. Surprise! Governments announce things not in the House of Commons. Oh, can we all grow up? <laughs> Well, let's go back to the House of Commons. This is question three from Keir Starmer. Keir Starmer. Mr Speaker, if anyone wants to see what uncontrolled immigration looks like, all they've got to do is wake up tomorrow morning, listen to the headlines and see what this government... Order, order. Oh, Ms Bristol, Lindsay I think you're going to be leaving. I'm, oh. I'm asking you to leave now, because otherwise I'll name you. I'm not having it, and I've warned you before. It's the same people. Paul Bristow. And the same will happen on this side. The Conservative MP for Peterborough. Mr Speaker, the reason they're issuing so many visas so is labour and skills shortages. And the reasons there are shortages is the low-wage Tory economy. Under his government's rules, businesses in IT, engineering, healthcare, architecture, welding can pay foreign workers 20% less than British workers for years and years on end. Does he think his policy is encouraging businesses to train people here or hire from abroad? Prime Minister. Mr Speak, he talks about immigration, but we know his position, because it turns out that Labour would actually like to see even more people coming to the UK, increasing the numbers. That's not just my view, Mr Speaker. Those were the words of his own frontbencher, who said, having a target isn't sensible and that the numbers might have to go up, Mr Speaker. 
So it's clear, whilst we're getting on with clamping down on legal migration, listening to the British public, he's perfectly comfortable wanting to say that he wants free movement back. Hey. He wants free movement back. Um, well, yeah, uh, Lindsay Hall's not happy, kicking out Tory MP Paul. It's, it's weird. It, it, seems it like didn't a quite seem quiet, that loud. Subdued. It didn't seem very loud to me. Um... Uh, and maybe that was the problem. Maybe it was only Paul Bristow maybe that was shouting, was, and yes, he was a bit too close to the speaker. Need to give yourself a bit trouble. more cover than that, perhaps. But um, good, good mention of the word welding as well from uh, Keir Starmer, as we know his remind, father was a remind, tool, ma- tool maker. Reminding us of his forebears. Um, yeah, I mean, and then this is this. I think this question, I think, explains a little bit why Labour's kind of going on this. You can see now that they're trying to tie um, high immigration to. Uh, low wages for Brits, and that then becomes something that does play in the Red Wall reasonably well, um, uh, and in parts of the country where you know a lot of uh, migrants are coming in to do jobs. Um, and after Brexit, of course, we scrapped the uh, the rule that was in place that companies were supposed to attempt to give a job to a Brit mm. first, um, and that has meant that um, uh, a lot of companies have been um, you know encouraging people to come in and um, they're just coming in from different parts of the world rather than from the EU in great numbers yeah. um, these days in fact the numbers the numbers all the growth in the numbers is coming from outside the EU which we could have controlled before we left the EU but we're just choosing not to that's correct and uh, the, and the problem they've dealt with this week with the dependents um, um, uh, if I remember correctly you know, something like 150,000 dependents came in last year, of which I believe about 45% were from Nigeria and about another 30% from India. Um, so that wasn't an EU issue at all. Yeah. Uh, well, let's go back to the House of Commons. We're, we're halfway through now and still no mention of Boris Johnson, Tim. I'm just saying we're halfway to a big dinner. That's all right. You know, I'm, I'm pretty relaxed. You're still, you're still pretty relaxed. I mean, as long as you accept a reference, passing reference like the points reference, which clearly referenced to Braverman. That well, will, I think know. we'll have we'll some sort of adjudication on that. We'll go back to the House of Commons. Fingers crossed there's no mention of Boris Johnson. Uh, question number four from Keir Starmer. Starmer. Mr Speaker, they've lost control of the economy, they've lost control of public services, and now they've lost control of immigration. And if he was serious about weaning his government off the immigration lever... He would get serious about wages in Britain and get serious about skills and training. The apprenticeship levy isn't working. It's hard to find a single business that thinks that it is. And the proof is that almost half the levy isn't even being spent. That's fewer young people getting the opportunities they need to fulfil their potential. Businesses are crying out for more flexibility in the levy so they can train up their staff. Labour would give them that. Why won't he... Mr Speaker, it's it's, it's right that we're talking about education and skills. What he failed to mention is just in the past week, what what did we discover? Thanks to the reforms of the Conservative government, our young people are now the best readers in the Western world, Mr Speaker. Reforms that were opposed by the party opposite. He He also talked about our record on the economy. And I am very surprised, Mr Speaker, because I've stood here week after week when he's been so keen to quote the IMF, Mr Speaker. He seemed seemed to have missed their press conference yesterday where where they actually said, they actually raised our growth forecast by one of the highest they've ever done, said that we've acted decisively to make sure that the economy is growing and credited this government with having a very positive effect on future growth. The amazing thing about the IMF is when the IMF said the economy was tanking, it was a total mess. It was dismissed as a woke snowflake organisation and all their forecasts were wrong. And now suddenly they're absolutely gospel. True, they're not actually by Sunak. Uh, that no. was the, I think that was the trust government that well, had a, a big right. problem yeah, with yeah. the IMF. So, well, that was a, I thought that was a good question and a good yeah, answer yeah, yeah. there, actually. You got really to the essence of what both of these guys are trying to do. Um, uh, Starmer having tried to tie immigration to sort of uh, less well-off people in Britain in the previous question, then goes for, you've lost control. And that's the sort of competence argument. Um, you know, you can't do this, mate. You can't, you know, you can't run a what's-it-in-a-doodah. And um, it's, um, you've lost control of this, you've lost control of that. Um, Sunak's answer, you know, A, quoting something helpful, but um, uh, his big argument is going to have to be as the year goes on, that the economy's back in shape. Um, I wonder whether Starmer will point out that um, while inflation has dropped, food prices are still uh, food price inflation is still rising, um, which is bad news for the government. But you know, if he can 
if Sunak can gradually give people the idea that the economy is turning around, um, that is very far from sufficient for him to win a general election, but it is absolutely the basic um, uh, building block of it. Um, if he can do that, at least he's got something to build on. Uh, if if he can't get that through to people, then he's got no chance at all. Um, necessary but not sufficient, as they say. And the uh, the apprenticeship levy, it was one of the, that was one of those things that seemed a good idea at the time. But, you know, it's all about how it all all works out. So this is big companies. You have to have uh, a payroll of more than three million, uh, three million pounds. Uh, and then it is, I think it's 0.5% of your total payroll is supposed to be taken out and spent on apprentices. The idea being it either encourages companies to take on apprentices or the money is used by other companies that do want to take on apprentices. And the concern is being that either the money's not been used or the money's, companies have basically been diddling it and calling uh, people apprentices or training when it isn't. Uh, yes. And also, you know, they have the option of going and getting someone cheaper from abroad and... You know, as a lot of companies say, um, it's quite often difficult to get Brits interested in, mm. you know, taking these things on. Um, interesting that Sunak did talk about the, you know, the literacy rates there. And that's, you know, that's that's primarily of historic interest. That's actually all about Michael Gove, Michael Gove when he yeah, first yeah, yeah, came yeah. in as Education Secretary in, Precisely in because 2010. it takes so long it to It takes an back. age. It's a classic case of you know, public policy having an effect, you know, literally 12, 13 years later. Um, and Gib, uh, Nick Gibb, the, you know, who's been schools minister for vast tracts of that period, um, and Gove, who got it all up and running, got a lot of praise the other day. I think we we're up to fourth in the world and, you know, and really we were risible if yeah. you go back to that point. And Labour, you know, with the teaching unions sort of in tow, um didn't like a lot of that stuff at the time, and it does seem to have had some effect. Yeah, and, this use of uh, and Sunak, to be fair to him, does bang on about skills all the time. Now, you know, um, Starmer is probably right to say that not enough has been yeah, done yeah. to make companies do anything about it. But um, you know, it's precisely the argument. You know, I've sat listening to Rishi Sunak burning my ears <laughs> off talking about skills and all that, all the rest of it. Um, so you know, but ultimately, that you know, is that so, is that slightly dull stuff, which was going to make the difference. If we had people with better skills, we wouldn't need as many people coming in. Uh, and then Bob Jonkel. Um, and this is the fascination to me about the Sunak government. Sunak is a sort of classic case of of a leader who, if he had five years. Mm. you could sort of think by the end of it, you might have something interesting to show for it. Yeah. But but this is a guy who wants to move slowly and build incrementally, who's basically only got 15 months to, yeah, yeah, to yeah. save his, himself and his party. So it's a case of dragging this bloke into the political arena and making him kind of get some wins over the Labour Party when really his inclination is to spend 10 years doing everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, well, we're now only two questions away from Tim buying me a dinner. Uh, Will, was it a very expensive dinner? Is that what I said? I think that's what you said. We'll check the tape. Mm. Uh, if there's no mention of Boris Johnson at PMQs, uh, let's, let's go back to the house uh, at, from Keir Starmer. Uh, let's go back to the house. And this is question number five from Keir Starmer. Is the Prime Minister seriously suggesting that breaking the economy, breaking public services, losing control of immigration is some sort of fair, carefully crafted plan? His policies are holding working people back and all he offers is more of the same. But fear not, because speeding into the void left by the Prime Minister comes the Home Secretary. Speeding into not the void. Not with a plan for skills, growth oh, or wages. No. Her big idea is for British workers to become fruit pickers. Just in case, I can hardly believe she said this, that they forget how to do things. Does the Prime Minister support this let them pick fruit ambition for Britain? Or does he wish he had the strength to give her a career change of her own? Mr. Speaker, he talks, he, talks, he talks about public service, he talks about the economy. Again, I think he's just failed to know what, notice what's going on. The IMF, as they've said, the IMF, as they said, it's right here, Mr. Speaker. Our forecast, which he was very keen to point out just a few months ago, now their forecasts are that we will have stronger growth than Germany, France and Italy, Mr Speaker. What do they say? They're saying that we are prioritising what's right for the British people, Mr Speaker. He talked about public services. I said best reading results in the Western world. When it comes to the NHS, what did we just discover last week? Ambulance waiting times at the fastest response in two years, Mr Speaker. That's a Conservative government delivering for the British people. That's a Conservative government making things slightly less terrible than the previous Conservative, Conservative government, government had left them. 
Again, uh, you know. Sorry. You I'm just, no, I was just actually looking to see if Keir Starmer did say anything about the International Monetary Fund. Uh, he did in March last year, apparently. Saying they were going to worst performing country in the G7 this year. There we go, then. What goes around comes around. That's what goes around comes around. But again, you know, that was a good punchy um, exchange. Um, uh, Starmer, you know, having gone from lost control, is now talking about things breaking. It's, you know, the classic... Um, theme, you know, Broken Britain, which he's been hammering most weeks. A um, couple of uh, OK, um, well, OK. Speeding. Sort of marginal uh, It feels gags. like, um, I feel like the meeting in Labour, Labour HQ for some speeding jokes, I feel that like a meeting dragged on. I'm not sure everybody turned up with, no. with their full sort of <laughs> thinking caps on for that one. And then again, interesting though, at the end of all that from Starmer, um, uh, talking about Braverman's let them pick fruit idea and, you know, it, does he wish he had the strength to give her a career yeah. change? We're back to the, the weakness charge. For, yeah, for the yeah, most yeah, of the yeah. last couple of months, Starmer's been banging Rishi Sunak as out of touch. Um, at the turn of the year, it was your two week to do anything about all yeah. these sleazy characters and, you know... Um, it's also hard... Does to- this presage a mention of... One last gentleman <laughs> in his Am peroration. Get to dinner. Um, the uh, it's not also not. It's hard to discern from that exactly who Keir Starmer thinks should be picking the fruit. If he thinks that Swella Barman is wrong to say that Brits should be picking the fruit, who should be picking the fruit? And is it all right for us to import cheap labour from overseas to pick the fruit, or is he just against fruit? Maybe he thinks fruit's a bit avant-garde. Well, we were talking earlier. So, um, uh, Lava Spirit had a bad satsuma earlier, and it turns out everyone's having bad satsumas. Mm. Not that I think you're pick, picking... If you're picking your satsumas Are we blaming Brexit for that, or is there some other... Um, I don't know. Is um, it a black spot disease that's infiltrating They were us? just... Uh, yeah, not a good satsuma. But then, yeah, they're probably not growing it here, not, are they? It wasn't small Watery. and it wasn't juicy. Watery. Mm. Tasteless. Stringy. Yeah. Anyway, let's not go... Should go to the House of Commons canteen. <laughs> Is that where we're going for our dinner? Uh, well, no, I'll, I'll do you better than that. Right, OK, well, let's find out. There's, there's a lot riding still, on this. I still have hope. It's the most excited I've been for PMQs for ages. Well, since Zippy was here. Is, anyway. Oh, yeah, no, thank God. Uh, is Keir Starmer going to mention Boris Johnson in his last question? And if he doesn't, Tim's going to buy me dinner. <laughs> Mr Speaker, the Home Secretary may need a speed awareness course. He needs a reality check. Yeah! on immigration reveals a Tory party with no ambition for working people and no ambition for Britain. Just the same old failed ideas, low wages and high tax. Labour would fix the apprenticeship levy, fill the skills gap and stop businesses from recruiting from abroad if they don't pay properly. That's because we're the party of working people. What does it say about him and his party that they won't do the same? Prime Minister... Mr. Well, I'm very Mr. disappointed. Mr. Speaker, I think he said it six times, but I don't think we actually know how he's going to do any of these things, Mr. Speaker. And look, that's the difference between us. Yeah, it doesn't Speaker, matter. Now. I'm getting dinner. We, we, hear, we hear a lot of empty rhetoric from the Honourable Gentleman opposite, but in the past we, we can measure ourselves by actions. What have we done on this side of the House? We've introduced new powers to curb disruptive protests. We're protecting public services against undisruptive strike action, Mr Speaker, and we have new laws to stop the boats. What has he done? He's voted against every single one of those. And that's the difference between us. While he's working on the politics, we're working for the British people. Which is itself a political line. Yes. Uh, dinner on Tim, says Amma, Aman. Uh, Luke says dinner. Everyone's very excited. This, this dinner bet is the most exciting thing since Zippy. Winner, winner, surely dinner. There we go. Oh, well, I'm delighted, actually. It's time we had dinner. It's, t- it's time we had dinner. And I feel, yes. That was the most exciting thing that came out of that. If you've only just tuned in, at the very beginning, uh, Tim Shipman bet me that Boris Johnson would not come up. Uh, no, would come up. That Keir Starmer wouldn't be able to resist mentioning Boris Johnson and Partygate. But how very interesting. Yes. What is worse than being talked <laughs> turning about a, a, turning a, a, a Prime Minister's question? A piece of analysis. Of course. But, yeah. what, but it's very interesting, isn't yeah. it? That, you know, what would once have been an absolutely bog-standard stock attack line. Yeah. And poor old Boris Johnson is not... No it's mention. no longer the butt of jokes Will and he be up? attacks. What time is it? He's, He's just Las being Vegas ignored. Right now. He'd probably... be very upset to be being ignored. <laughs> <laughs> and all, but also it points to, what I was making, the confidence of the Labour operation that instead of battering away at Savannah Barfman and Boris Johnson, 
they tackle head-on possibly one of their weakest yep. areas. Yep, and that will sort of... The idea of that, I guess, is to gently impress um, the journalists covering this, that they're serious about all this, um, and um, to gradually let it percolate through to the public that, you know, there aren't no-go areas... Um, uh, in terms of, uh, and he actually strung an argument together, you know, sort of on and off. There were d- different approaches in each question. Um, and I thought Sunak's response at the end was very interesting as well. Um, and I think it highlights the dilemma he's got. You know, he says, we've done all these things and you voted against them all. Yeah. Well, as we know, um, a lot of people think Keir Starmer is the bloke who says no yeah. um, in the focus groups. Yeah. And they moan that he just, he just opposes everything. And Labour clearly hasn't yet done enough to seal the deal with the public and show them that their uh, plan for government is uh, something that will have them all cheering in the streets. So that, you know, in essence is a, is, is a line that sort of works for Sunak. But he then says, oh, you're doing all this politics and we're just delivering. And what a lot of the Conservative Party is concerned about, as it kind of goes back to what I was saying before... Rishi Sunak sort of thinks if he delivers, then he's going to win. Um, and a lot of people think that's not the case. Yeah, yeah. You don't just have to deliver. You've got to convince people that it was terribly difficult, what you've done is heroic, and that the and other the lot... future, exactly. And that the yeah, other yeah. lot will blow it. Um, it's actually John, John Major's a lesson in that, that as you turn things around... And he didn't get any credit for it. No, he left a rather nice uh, economic like legacy, legacy for the, for, yeah, for the yeah. Labour Party, which they won three general elections off the back of. So, uh, you know, this is what troubles a lot of Conservatives, that... That Sunak doesn't have enough politics in him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, uh, everyone's very excited about dinner on the YouTube channel. Uh, I'm not di- sure we're going to film this dinner for YouTube. Then, well, we? somebody's actually suggested that dinner should be filmed for YouTube. Uh, people are posting restaurant reviews as well. Um, Where do they want us to go? Well, let's have a look. Uh, God, there's so many now. I can't. I can't keep across them all. Uh, Tim, take Matt to Straker's in Notting Hill. Fabulous food. Sabor is nice, says Paul. I've never heard of any of these. Uh, the dinner must be streamed on the YouTube channel, says Tom. Uh, Matt suggests you go to the Riverside Restaurant of the Savoy, <laughs> says John. I was thinking more of the boot and flogger up the road. Hortons. Hortons, says Scott. Anyway, let us know where we should be going for dinner after I won a bet with Tim. The most interesting thing that happened, John Pierre. No, actually, it was, inter- no, it was interesting. Think oh, that's yeah, true. I, I, think, I think that was a pretty decent exchange in a lot yeah, of ways, yeah. actually. And learning a lot. a lot. Also, the one thing that I've made notes of a couple of times is that uh, Keir Starmer's sort of um, bang, bang, bang attack line, lost control of the economy, lost control of public services, lost control of immigration. Then he did uh, broken, 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 and actually lumping those three things together. And then suddenly that becomes, you can do lost control of economy, lost control of public services, lost control of thing we want to talk about today. Yeah. It's quite a clever way of doing it. Anyway, no, people stop talking about the Tesco meal deal. That definitely doesn't count as dinner. I just said to Lara Spirit, are you coming to dinner? She said, what dinner? Because of course, Lara's been listening to the best of the rest. I have. So that we don't have to. How was it overall? It wasn't the best of weeks this week. Sorry right. to say that, but um, there are a few gems. Oh, no, you need to try and... You know, sorry, I know, sorry, I'm learning. Um, <laughs> <laughs> here is tell us about the gems. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, here is an incredible question. Do you know why, do you know why Paul Bristow was thrown out? It seemed very... He, was, he seemed to be making some some noise that uh, that Lindsay Hall didn't seem to like all that much. So he was throwing out. I mean, it was impossible to tell, but they were. Ju- I mean, they were just doing this very furrowed brow. From, it didn't um, seem yeah. a particularly sort well, of disruptive session. Oh. It's difficult. He sometimes gets like this. He singles people out when actually it seems like there's about there must be about a dozen people making the same volume. Well, like we were saying that maybe maybe time. it was because no one else was shouting. So Paul Whistler going, "You're rubbish." <laughs> um, I suppose we should be grateful that he didn't urge him to take some medicaments or something yeah. like that. Or go for a cup of tea. Yes. You'll be having the tea. No one understands what that means. Anyway, so what have you got for us, Lara, which is definitely must listen and people must stay listening? 100%. So here's, <laughs> here's Stephen Flynn. Uh, it is an important question. It's on food inflation uh, and the government's plans to address it. Uh, he makes the charge that uh, there is a cost of greed crisis and not a cost of living crisis. But I think that it's interesting because uh, Rishi Sunak comes out with uh, a response echoed in other questions that you won't be listening to in the best of the rest uh, regarding why he thinks that the IMS forecasts are very boosterish uh, and why uh, he's willing to stand there and defend the government's economic record. So have a listen to this. Fabulous. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Mr Speaker, we learned today that the price of milk, cheese and eggs are up 29%. The price of pasta is up 27%. The price of a loaf of bread, 18%. Does the Prime Minister agree that this is no longer just a cost of living crisis? This is a cost of greed crisis. Yeah. Well, 
Mr Speaker, it was welcome that inflation has fallen today, but as the Chancellor said, we should not be complacent because there is more work to do. The Honourable Gentleman is right to highlight the impact of food inflation, which is too high, at, at common here in levels that we have seen in other European countries like Sweden and Germany. We are providing significant support to help people with the cost of living, and the Chancellor has met with uh, companies in the supermarket and food supply chain to make sure that they are doing everything they can to bring prices down. Stephen Flynn. In fact, what was interesting with that meeting after the Chancellor met the food companies yesterday, the, the, the uh, Treasury put out a statement saying that they would look at prices sort of hinting at, at possible intervention. I don't know what that would mean. Yeah, I mean, this was so there was a follow-up question from Flynn regarding mm. this and Rishi Sunak responded to say the CMA is independent, mm. but uh, we'll be hearing about more of this soon. So I think slightly keeping that at arm's length and insisting that if there is an intervention that it will be led by an independent organisation. That sounds whom... like very much the kind of thing that Ed Miliband used to suggest and the Tory party used to accuse him of basically being a communist. <laughs> <laughs> But, but if pasta's up 27% and bread is up, we're not going Italian, are we, <laughs> for this uh, dinner? No, so it said, um, in the statement yesterday, it said, the Chancellor confirmed that the government stands ready to update pricing rules and guidance on the back of the uh, Competition and Markets Authority review of unit pricing. So it sort of raises the prospect. I don't actually know what that means. Well, it sounds very like price controls, Price controls, it? yeah, which is very it's retro. It's, it, I mean, it's interesting, isn't it? Because politically, this is the biggest problem Sunak's got. But the other problem he's got is that, that half of his backbenchers don't think he's conservative enough. So yeah. um, if he tries to do anything to help people who can't afford a bowl of pasta, I mean, he's going to find um, a lot of his own side. A, a, a but the implication of that is you could have the government saying there's a minimum, there's a maximum amount you can charge for a pint of milk or I eggs. Know. I don't know how it would work, but um, you can imagine an encouragement for the supermarkets to. Uh, perhaps uh, get their sort of basics range into the realms yeah, yeah. where people can afford well, it. Because the concern, the concern is that because everyone's talked about the cost of living crisis... 5p more on year. Matthew Chawley's um, finest pasta. <laughs> i make my own, darling. Uh, <laughs> well, you can have me over to dinner in that case. No, no, we're definitely going somewhere posh. Uh, Lara, what, who else have you got? We've got Sarah Olney next uh, talking about investment. This is an issue that privately quite a few Tories are, are pretty worried about, but I think Rishi Sunak, uh, as you'll hear, much more boosterish uh, than you would expect. Who, and I think, I mean, it's quite an amusing response. Just take a listen. Thank you very much, Mr Speaker. Under the Conservatives, so much of the UK's potential is going untapped. Anemic growth, falling living standards and declining international competitiveness. Just this morning, a solar power company developing an innovation from Oxford University said that the UK is the least attractive market in which to base its business due to a lack of incentives. This is a homegrown company that could have provided well-paid green jobs lost to this country thanks to the government's lack of an industrial strategy. So why does the Prime Minister think it is that each week more and more promising businesses are choosing to leave the UK? Lib Dem Sarah only. Mr Speaker, the uh, the Honourable Lady obviously missed the comments from the IMF yesterday, uh, upgrading our growth performance. She obviously, she obviously missed the survey of thousands of global CEOs just recently placing the UK as their number one European investment destination. And, and it sounds like she also missed my trip to Japan last week, where we announced £18 billion of new investment into the UK economy. Little chance of any of us missing his IMF announcement. No. Or indeed his trip to Japan. It was, he's got a lot of coverage over that, although he didn't particularly enjoy it. Not a lot asked. of it about Japan, no. it's fair to say. No, it's very cross with Chris Mason. He does get a bit prickly, he's a bit he? prickly. He's a bit prickly. Yeah. yeah. And he should have been better prepped for that question anyway. Um, we're sort of dancing off into the weeds now. No, but this is the point that Chris Mason asked at the press conference at the end of the G7 about uh, Svenna Bowman and her speeding fine. And he sort of said, you're not going to ask about the summit? Are we very busy at the summit? Yeah, I mean, this happens at every summit. Yeah. I mean, you know, every time we, you or I ever went on one of these trips, um, there were probably two questions about the summit, and that was normally from a broadcaster who wanted to look like a bit of a swat, and everybody else would just ask about whatever was in the papers. But also it's because, you know, if you wanted to bring back the monthly press conferences that Prime Ministers in the past have done, 
Uh, but, you know, otherwise the only chance to put questions to the Prime Minister is... That is very true. Uh, uh, I, it seems vanishingly unlikely we'll be getting I monthly press like conferences. Um, um, a little bit of breaking news to bring you while I've been talking uh, about the uh, the Cabinet Office, and this is the, this is the Boris Johnson story. Um, oh. But me mentioning it isn't does not count, I'm afraid. Uh, Tragically, 14 minutes too late. <laughs> Uh, so, the Cabinet Office has responded to the suggestion of a ministerial stitch-up, uh, or otherwise, saying the Cabinet Office has not made any assessment or conducted any investigation of the material that has been passed to the police. This is in relation to Boris Johnson and uh, parties, gatherings, work events at Chequers, and whether or not they broke uh, lockdown rules. Uh, the suggestion being that uh, events took place during lockdown at Chequers, the Prime Grace and Favour home. Uh, which have come to light as a result of Boris Johnson uh, having legal support to respond to the Privileges Committee. Officials had looked at his diaries and there had been questions raised about what was happening. That's Boris Johnson, who's earned about £5 million from speeches and is still receiving £13.5 worth of free accommodation each month. But, yes, and he's getting the taxpayer to pay his legal fees and therefore uh, the the Cabinet Office, which is therefore working for him, in his defence to the Privileges Committee, have unearthed the possibility that he may have broken more rules. Anyway, th- this is what the Cabinet Officer said. The Cabinet Officer made not make any assessment or conducted any investigation of the material that's been passed to the police. Ministers played no role in deciding whether the information should be handed over to the police. Oh, okay. The police were first contacted on the 16th of May prior to any minister being made aware. The decision to contact the police and the subsequent decision to share the information was not made by ministers but by officials acting in line with the civil service code. So the conspiracy theory that ministers have stitched up Boris Johnson would appear to be inaccurate. The great thing about conspiracy theories is that that may all be a conspiracy as well. Thank you for that, Tim. Uh, Your favourite scandal, Tim, of previous times? Edward Lee has been complaining that we don't have scandals like we used to. I think think the ones that stick most memorably in my mind are not the ones that ought to be repeated on the radio. (laughs) (laughs) I remember something that uh, a a Labour cabinet minister said to someone at at a conference in Cardiff once, which has always stayed with me. You may know what I'm talking about. No, but that feels like something to discuss often. Maybe over dinner. Over dinner. We will discuss it over dinner. Uh, Lara, thank you for that. Lara's bit. What time will the red box PMQs unpacked email be in people's inbox? 3 pm. 3 pm. On the dot. (laughs) And that's all we've got time for from Tim and from Lara. And for me, Matt Chorley, it's goodbye. This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is brought to you by Luton Rising, owners of London Luton Airport, the UK's most socially impactful airport. Find out more at lutonrising.org.uk. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.